that, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. Everyone's always so busy kissing New York and L.A.'s butt. We don't, we don't do cocaine together. Mm, me gusta porno. That's the eternal question. That's all you're going to get. You're just going to have to wait. God don't want no part-time soldiers. It's the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia-Hale. I'm Pat O'Brien, and do you hear the? Do you hear what I hear? I think it's the sound of Zwan season continuing. Um, we're we're back. Zwan season is is heating up, and uh, we're very excited to be talking about the Jolly Zwan, specifically the little mini tour of shows, which was not so much a tour, but a couple of uh, gigs where they did an early show and a late night show, and the late night mm-hmm. show was a little bit blue. They said some swear oh. words in those. <laughs> it got a little ribald. Yep, if you will, just like the cat skills. The late show is for mommy and daddy only. Mm-hmm. Kind of did go to bed in your bunk beds. Yeah, it's not totally untrue. There was some. <laughs> they're kind of a kind of a. Um, some like a dirty joke band, kind of more than the Pumpkins, right? Just from the the banter I've heard, like Matt Sweeney and Billy when they get together, they kind of, uh, you know, yeah. bro out a little bit. And they're a saucy crew, which is kind of weird given the the kind of image of the band, what they're supposed to be. It was a little broy. Yeah, ish. You know, musician broy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Not broy broy, but you know. Nah, nah. And you know, they're not like, you know, talking about MMA or, you know, right. Uh talking about protein drinks that they can guzzle while they punch each other's dicks, you know? Right. Not yeah, not Rogan Broy, but indie rock broy. There you go. But I, but we digress. We mm-hmm. yeah. Um so Frank, let me ask you this. <laughs> yeah. How familiar were you with the catalog? Or rather, the um, repertoire, I guess you could say, of the Jolly Zwan incarnation of the band. Uh, I would there's say a lot a, of songs. Yeah, I would say it's a huge blind spot for me. Um, mm-hmm. Other than when we started this podcast, when I started delving a little bit deeper into Zwan, I knew of the concept of it. I didn't get it uh, when you know the album came out and it came with the DVD and... They had talked about Jolly Zwan a little bit, and I had heard about Jolly Zwan and mm-hmm. that it was acoustic version, that they were on the Spun soundtrack and all that stuff. And I, I don't know. I guess I just wasn't following it as closely, so I wasn't as familiar. I wasn't on the message boards downloading the mm-hmm. you know bootlegs and whatnot. And uh, it wasn't until like I had listened to our our the, our sister podcast, or I guess. I don't know technically what you would call them because they were around first, but SPA to Z, mm-hmm. um, they had covered a few of these Jolly Swan songs, and I was like, "Whoa, what's this?" Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And yeah, that that was about my familiarity with it up until recently when I started to dive in, and especially for this episode. Me too. I knew, with the exception of obviously the, uh, you know, and I was a, I've been a big Zwan fan, and I was, I did, I was yeah. aware of their, you know, I was kind of all over the Spun movie, but because I was working with, I wasn't deep into like bootleg recordings or anything. I was just kind of working with official releases, which are very limited. So I did know, um, the number of the beast. Uh, freedom ain't what it used to be, and then of course the the couple or the um, I think they only do one sort of uh, true poets of Zwan song or maybe two throughout these. But yeah, I, I only yeah. knew like three or four of these songs. Um, 
but man, oh man, I have some new, after delving into this, I've got some new favorite Zwan songs out of, out of this adventure. So we, you know, we, um, I guess all that to say, folks, is that even though, you know, we sit here looking like distinguished experts, even we can learn some new stuff. And even we have wide swaths of music that, um, you know, that is somewhat new to us. So that's, that's very exciting because you know it's music <laughs> it's music that's n- new to us so this was a very <laughs> enjoyable process to to listen to these recordings yeah between the glass house show and these jolly zwan shows it's just really i think it bums me out a little bit mm-hmm. um I, I mean it's great to be hearing these songs and i know we're going to be hearing the proper versions of these songs yeah. within the next two to three years or five years whatever but it just kind of like uh, uh, kind of makes me feel like, oh, what could have been? I know. It's really because it wasn't like this. I mean, this all uh, all these shows and all these songs and just the talent of this combination of musicians. It, it wasn't just like a, this was meant to, I think, be a band that stuck around for a while. Like it wasn't just a yeah. kind of temporary kind of jam session. This was much bigger than that. And they were really good, you know? Like it's the, yeah. hearing them live, it, it, it's really incredible. And and because of the um, mostly acoustic nature of it, you can kind of like pick out each individual's playing more easily. You know, you can kind of appreciate, like Jimmy shot, like uh, uh, the vote, like, the Sweeney vocals, the Billy vocals work together in this kind of um, strange but really effective, like Buckingham Nicks kind of like just weird, you know, just co- distinct voices that I, I thought of it as like, with like hearing their voices together, it's kind of like flipping between channels on TV and, and then <laughs> suddenly the two shows kind of start like matching up, like working together really well, you know? It's like, Are you referencing the... There is a uh, commercial. Direct TV <laughs> commercial that's out. Are you holding water for Direct TV There right is now, a commercial. Uh, oh, you sneaky. You're trying to get... <laughs> would you have a partnership deal with them? Are you trying to get money I just money think here? everybody should check out Direct TV. I know we're all talking <laughs> about a la carte streaming apps, but really just do... I stick with direct tv i think it's great company so okay um, yeah serena wonder woman serena wonder woman and it all mashes together so i'm taking an annoying commercial and trying to make a, a cool point about <laughs> compared it compared to uh, swan yeah <laughs> but um yeah all that to say it, it's because i know billy has even alluded to you know maybe he will and he has played some of these songs um, yeah. in recent years which is you know which is great and we even saw him yeah do um Endless Summer, right? At um, his solo show? I believe that's what it was. Uh, right. Yeah, I think that's what he had played from the Zwan era. Yeah, but um, the one thing that doesn't seem like it's going to happen is Billy and um, Matt Sweeney vocalizing together anytime soon. And that is a really special part of it. So I guess I, I'm just saying I agree with you. It, it is a bit of a bummer because it feels like this was a big, ambitious, and really solid project. Like, couple of projects that um wasn't a failure to launch because they were around for a couple years but like it feels like they kind of you know burned up upon uh, re-entry re-entry yeah 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 it feels like i mean yeah it's such a bummer it's the band it's a i feel like they 
should have had at least three albums and an EP. Mm-hmm. And just like with Future Embrace, I wish she had at least two albums of that style in an EP. You know, just kind of like get 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 a little wiggle room. Right. At least I wish we could have gotten the Jolly's Juan album. You know, mm-hmm. uh, or at least the Spun soundtrack. Because uh, for this Jolly's Juan episode, we're mostly just going to be focusing on, um, you know, a little bit of the history, and then also, well, I guess not too much history because you know, it's just a kind of straightforward. Yeah. Because uh, we already did the history last time, but. Um, we're going to be covering these two shows, you know, or four shows technically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to be kind of a, a, kind of a broad covering of it. We're not going to go into deep dive of every single song, especially since there were repeats and stuff. Hey Pat, we got some housekeeping to do. Let's thank some Patreon members. That's right. We want to thank our brand new patron, Craig Smith. And we also want to thank Jack Como because we said your name wrong we said jack cuomo and we don't want to associate you with a disgraced governor of new york <laughs> and disgraced cnn anchor right is get he, those brothers out is of he here. disgraced too yeah he's a disgrace too now nice add it to the cuomo pile i never was a big yeah. fan of the the brother nah no nah, the whatever we're not going to get into it it's not the cuomo cast no, anyway it's the cuomo uh, yeah cast. but they can they can take a hike yeah. Uh, anyway, so we also want to give Matt Billington, Justin Corwin, Eric Devlin, Francis Chiron. Lecurc Chiron. We apologize if we're saying that wrong again, but uh, we want to thank you, uh, all of you, for sending us the Spun soundtrack. Uh, so if uh, you're listening to this, you don't have to send it to us anymore. We got it. Thanks to these people. And we will be covering in some capacity. I don't know if it'll be its own episode or it'll be in the odds and ends episodes. Right. But uh, thank you so much for sending it uh, that to us because it's new to us. Can't wait to cover it. Um, also, something that we wanted to mention is that um, that we didn't get to mention in the intro in the history episode at Randelius. R-A-N-D-E-L-I-U-S on Twitter uh, wrote to us on Twitter uh, at Pumpkins Podcast and said great episode Um, mention ought to be made of Zwan's roots in SLC Salt Lake City as we know that's Mm -hmm. the abbreviation uh, because kids like to abbrevi right Right, SLC punk Uh Uh, I believe Billy was in Utah working on music with Linda Strawberry and he soon invited Jimmy then Matt to get in on what he was doing. I believe the first show together pre-Zwan was at Liquid Joe's Bar. Uh, and he said that there was an early cryptic post from the band that talked about writing music on a rickety boat on the Great Salt Lake <laughs> or something like that. Um, but that's what uh, they mentioned, which I thought was uh, of note. You know, yeah, that that's yeah. where the origins of In Zwan. terms of the roots of Zwan, for sure. Yeah, and why uh, Linda's probably part of uh, Jolly's one too. Mm-hmm. Why that's uh, she's part of that circle. We're gonna have to get her on uh, to talk about that. Yeah, we're maybe. definitely gonna have Linda on. We've chatted with her online, she, or oh, offline. Yeah. She's great. She's great. We love her, um, but we we haven't officially had her on the show yet, which we will at some point. Yeah, and then also a correction, Aussie American on Instagram mentioned that uh, in our first episode where we covered the Glasshouse show that uh, there's a track there's a track called How Things Are Supposed to Be uh, that was actually the intro to Glorious but Archive didn't have it listed we didn't see it so we missed it we didn't get to cover it but we will be covering that track at some point point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also Michael Pasila 
uh, had uh, some notes about the first show, kind of just a little history there, uh, kind of giving us some insight onto uh, when Zwan first kind of came on the scene. Uh, Michael says, some unknown person made a post on Netforium message boards in or around summer of 2001 saying something to the effect of, look out for Zwan. Of course, at the time, no one knew what that meant. That just sounds like crazy talk. Yeah, look, look out, out for, for Zwan. What the fuck does that mean? Um, at the time. <laughs> at the time. But then October 2001, a show for Zwan in L.A. He says, I think it was for November 18th, showed up on Ticketmaster. A few fans, including myself, bought tickets based on that cryptic message board post. Tickets were initially very easy to get because no one knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Within the next few weeks... There were two confirmations that this was actually pumpkins related. Number one, a very resourceful fan checked the website where you go to uh, check copyright names, I guess. Yeah, where yeah. people register their band names, the government database of um, yeah, who, of rock. Yeah, that's a, like sleuths who figure out like what Marvel movies are next and stuff. They do that shit. Uh, but it says the results for Zwan showed that the name was registered to W. PC. There you go. Number two, the very basic website went up with the name of the band and who played what instrument. After that, tickets sold out immediately. That's why you got to look out for Zwan. Yeah. And he also adds a little note here. It says, great job on the Zwan intro episode. Uh, the reason why so many of the early Zwan bootlegs sound so good, including the one you used in the podcast, is because they were recorded using mic stands. These stands were designed specifically for recording concerts. They were set up behind the soundboard and stood about 12 to 15 feet, so they were above the crowd noise. Zwan was pro-taping, so fans could easily bring this type of equipment into the shows, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I wish we're, that happened more. We're using mic stands as we speak, so yeah. this is, you know, you won't hear all the people cheering. So that's all the housekeeping for right now. Thank you all for reaching out to us. Uh, if we miss anything, and trust me, we will especially in this Jolly Zwan episode. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that we overlooked in our next episode too, uh, covering Mary Star of the Sea. Uh, there's probably going to be some stuff that we miss because it's, um, as usual with Corgan, whew. there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. So, uh, yeah, just reach out to us. You can email us at thesmashingpumpcast at gmail.com. Cast is spelled K-S-T. You can also visit us on Twitter at Pumpkins Podcast. Podcast is spelled normal there. I know it's confusing. Or you can just uh, message us on Instagram at smashingpumpcast. Mm-hmm. K-A-S-T. All right. Thanks, gang. That is our housekeeping. And now on with the show. In your mind, what did you think this would sound like as opposed to what you ended up getting? Well, I did the 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 tracks that I was um, did have access to years ago were the ones I actually have it with me right here. The ones on the honestly single, I believe. Yeah. Pumpkin heads. He just got up. I just got up and yanked left. it off my shelf. He left. Yeah. He knocked everything over all of his recording equipment so it it's, took an hour to reset up yeah it, it yeah so i i'm holding the disc in my hand which contains honestly the number of the beast and freedom ain't what it used to be so and i you know and i think and i watched the um you know the spun movie back in the day so i was i don't know i i didn't have a good grasp on like the um 
the live experience and I thought of the I thought in my limited knowledge it was like a sort of quieter acoustic zwan which is partly true but not entirely true it's like yeah. a pretty it's a full sound and it's a powerful band just kind of being powerful in like a slightly different um, musical context like it's not it, it's not quiet music at all in fact because of the mostly and it's there is electric guitar in there which works really well mm-hmm. the, the hints of it that they do use r- really like pops but because I don't know when you got like Jimmy and all these people who are capable of rocking really hard when you sort of do an unplugged version and they still go balls to the wall like it it's it's kind of all the more noticeable. So I was I was absolutely yeah I was pretty blown away by what a um, full sound it was and not like a small kind of acoustic like coffee shop vibe. It was like a different kind of rock show you know really yeah. surprising and cool way you could tell by the late show of the intersection uh show like how they readjusted because that early show you could tell like there were some um not hesitance from the audience mm-hmm. but you could tell like there was a little bit of like uncertainty and then the power of the performance in the late show just kind of really drove that home yeah. and even with one of the performances at the emerson show i believe of uh, god's gonna set this world on fire which was completely different when they were do- within what we- they were doing mm-hmm. uh i eventually got that phrase out but uh it, it was really interesting how they kind of changed it up from set to set, you know? Like, yeah. there, there are some songs that, like, barely change and others that they just radically try different things with. Mm-hmm. And some songs they only play once, right. you know, which we'll, we'll talk about. But for me, I think I had this idea in my head that the Jolly's Juan was this kind of, like, more hippie-ish, yeah. kind of, like, bongos-esque kind mm-hmm. of acoustic. That's what I had in my head when I visualized yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but then listening to it, I was like, oh, this feels like, I, I call it Cormac core. So it's like Cormac McCarthy type, mm-hmm. you know, core, you know, music. Like it's just kind of like this kind of essence to it. It kind yeah. of has this like dust bowl, mm-hmm. you know, it, which it a lot of this stuff really does allude to like what we'd see in the future with like cotillions. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and a lot of it felt like that, where it just kind of had this kind of like bluesy, kind of rootsy, salt of the earth type feel to it. Yeah, and and a definite sort of, um, and it's not all. It's interesting because it's not all throwbacky sounding, but it is maybe a little more timeless, like drawing from like that. And you even hear in some of the banter, like there's a lot of or there's some there's several mentions of like alternative rock and like alternative rock lives as being sort of like in the rear view you know like that's over with um yeah no more playing stadiums yeah yeah so um but it, it it's also interesting because this is clearly just to, to that point like this is clearly billy's version of um flying under the radar you know what i mean of sort of like doing a kind of um going from superstar to sort of humble you know traveling musician kind of deal which still has like a hugeness and an ambitiousness to it and i feel like you know maybe he couldn't even stay in that place for too long um 
Yeah. It maybe just wasn't in him, but um, but yeah, it's just like a really really interesting and um, cool mix of uh, you know musical points of view and just like again really talented musicians. Um, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I don't know about you, but I definitely picked up some new favorite songs through listening to these. Absolutely. I mean, I again, like I said, I think. I've heard this said before, and I think it's a little bit of a not a not a lame excuse, but I, I think that I listening to these shows really made me appreciate Zwan even more. Mm-hmm. And if you're iffy on Zwan, I think you need to hear these shows, the ones like the last ones we covered at the Glass House, and this one, and maybe we might cover a few more, but I doubt it. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Pat and I are going to talk about what we're going to do next, but. If you haven't listened, because these recordings are pretty good for the most part, mm-hmm. there was only one show I was, I guess a few shows where the audience got a little overwhelming. Right. Um, but man, just hearing these, con- there's so many songs, you know, there's so many songs that are just great. Mm-hmm. They sound so great. And I think I like, what I'm trying to get to, the long way of saying, I think I like Lives One mm-hmm. better than I like what we got on Mary Star of the Sea. It's a different thing, for sure. And you can hear... And that's not... Yeah, and that's yeah. not disparaging uh, Mary Star of the Sea. I do love Mary Star of the Sea, but I, I had this idea in my head of what Zwan, Zwan would be, and I feel like the live incarnation was closer to that mm-hmm. than kind of what we got recorded. I think you can you can get a better sense of the kind of interplay of the, in, of the members hearing yeah. it this way. Um, exactly the individual talents kind of melding together uh, which i guess would be true of any good live show versus like a you know a record you know a piece right. uh, uh, an album that was tracked but yeah it, definitely check it out if you haven't so we're gonna just we're gonna talk through they they played um you know kind of the same core set list but moved it around a lot and definitely switched things up and dropped some different things in Typically, it was about 15, 16 songs. Several people yeah. um, ha- uh, <laughs> happened to have birthdays, so they sang happy birthday <laughs> to a couple of yeah. people. A uh, fun fact is that the December 14th, um, 2001 shows, I w- that was my 18th birthday, so I was going from barely legal to fully legal as these shows were taking place. Um, oh, yeah. I wish I was there. I, get, I would be seeing Zwan like a year and a few months later in early... Oh three, but this, yeah, this was. You a, would have retroactively asked him, say, "Hey, you played a show that was on my birthday. Hey, I couldn't be there. Yeah. Please sing me happy birthday." Sing me happy birthday. My birthday was four months and one year ago. The one, the one that I want you to sing for. Um, <laughs> well, but fun fact: the the last time he did play Happy Birthday live was it to Pam? Yeah, it was to Pam mm-hmm. at the show. Uh, one of the lodge shows. We weren't at this lodge show because there were three nights at the the. What was it called? The Lodge Room. Lodge Room, yep. Yeah, in, in L.A., uh, where we reside. And we went to night three. Yes. Uh, we were not there for all three nights, but on one of the nights, uh, he sang Happy Birthday to our very good friend, Polka Dot Pam. Yeah, yeah. Which I just, uh, yeah, I just saw the video. She, I think she shared that stuff recently. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Billy's a sucker for birthdays. You can, you know, he, he that's, that's his sort of his... Um, Soft spot, his Achilles heel. Yeah, and, and Pat, this was a dangerous time when Happy Birthday was not 
uh, public domain, it was still, you know, uh, the, you, you had to pay. You That's know? true. Yeah, you remember in like shows and stuff, and this is relevant <laughs> to what we're talking about, but ha- how on TV shows, I feel like when we were growing up, that it would be someone's birthday and everyone would sing for he's a jolly good fellow. It's like right. who the or fuck like sings happy that? happy birthday to you or yeah. like some kind of variation. Even if even at restaurants they couldn't sing the traditional happy birthday because someone owned the rights to it. Some asshole was like, I own that song. So now. crazy. I mean, honestly, yeah. Someone was making the point recently that at this point, Batman should just be public domain. You know, like <laughs> right. I know ownership, like the and I th- like. All this stuff after a while, all these things that keep getting remade, like, eventually they gotta just sort of give it to the people. Like, come on. Like, you know, who owns Batman? It has to Batman? be 100 years. Yeah. We're we're almost at 100 years with Batman, so we'll see. But then, uh, like, Disney, like, Mickey Mouse is never gonna... Um, no. ...go up. Like, Disney... Fi- like, if, you know, all these... Like, I'm saying I want Mickey Mouse and Batman, and I want to be able to <laughs> legally do... You want to do whatever you want with them. And, <laughs> and believe me, it's gonna... <laughs> It's gonna Some be places have online, Pat. Yeah, let's yeah. Uh, let's uh, tread lightly here. <laughs> yeah, if yeah, oh man, there's got to be a Mickey, a weird Mickey Mouse and Batman animated porn out there, right? And if not, I'm not gonna be the one to look it up, that's for sure. Yeah, I think my computer might explode or the <laughs> the fence. And listeners, we really don't recommend you do that either. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think like Happy Birthday. Yeah, now you can sing it as much as you want. Yeah, and I, I'm, for, I'm all for it. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Um, all right. So, should we talk? What do you do? You want to go through like the the first set list, or do you want to list the songs and then we could talk about our highlights, or just get into our highlights? Yeah, I think we. So we should just say like you know uh, the dates for these shows were twelve thirteen two thousand one December thirteenth. 2001 uh was at the intersection in grand rapids michigan uh and then um we had a day later on december 14th 2001 at the emerson in indianapolis in indianapolis indiana yep and these were these shows were the first build as jolly zwan which is of course the acoustic ish incarnation of Zwan and each show had an early set and a late set, like we said, debuting a wide range of material along with a few notable covers. Yep. And once again, we want to give massive thanks to spcodex.wiki and spfc.org for all this research information. Without you, uh, We'd be nothing. We'd, be, we'd be nothing. Yeah, we we. I know for me personally, I have the worst memory, and I could not retain all this. So thankfully, these resources are out there. Yeah. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. But yeah, I think like we could talk about. How about like this, Pat? Let's go through. We'll do a couple of rounds here. Um, how about? general feelings on like uh the late show or the early show versus the late show like what do you what are your thoughts on that kind of format for these two shows back to back that there was an early show and a late show i think it's interesting and i think um it would be inevitable for like if you're doing two shows of any kind to not um and granted i guess it was different audiences and each audience is still different but like to mm-hmm. not to not adjust or course correct in a way that would make like dial in some stuff to be better you know what i mean 
Like yeah. I feel like it, it, and I feel like that was the case with. Um, the, there was one where they they sort of readjusted the set list in a way that kind of um, moved all the songs that I personally like really connected with. They, which were kind of more in the second half, they bumped all of those up into the first oh, yeah. half in a way that yeah. made a lot of sense to me. So um, yeah, I think it's an interesting format it seems like this band all of its incarnations kind of played a lot with um you know what can we do without kind of telling the audience a lot in advance you know like they it seemed like they really wanted to test the um impact of the music on its own merits because obviously people were coming to see billy for the most part and and certainly Mm -hmm. i'm sure a lot of people were coming for the other members too but um yeah, I, I think it was. I think it's a cool move. I mean, um, which yielded some interesting results and clearly some spontaneous decisions to play stuff that um, maybe they weren't going to play. Yeah, yeah. I think that I really liked seeing the back to back or hearing the back to back and seeing how because we know like we come from the sketch comedy world. When mm-hmm. we do live sketch comedy, you put all these elements together you put a you know set list together of like Mm -hmm. which sketches will go where and i know when i directed live sketch i had that kind of sense of being like this is what i want to open this is what i want to close yeah but if you were doing like festivals like with my group that your wife uh was or slash is in Mm -hmm. onassis uh when we do like festivals and stuff and we'd have two shows like uh kind of either back to back or uh, night after night we'd adjust based on kind of like audience reaction or we'd remove a sketch or put another sketch in or uh, move a sketch to another place or change a line or do whatever. Yeah. And it's really cool to hear uh, that in the musical sense, you know, Mm -hmm. just seeing like how they adjust. And that was such a great point about being like, I felt like that first early set, which was great, they started to lose the audience a little bit until uh, God's going to set this world on fire, which is like... It's like, yeah, it's a fail. Like, stand-ups kind of call it their, like, winner, you know? Like, mm-hmm. where no matter what, how the set is going, they can tell a certain joke. Yeah. And yeah. they know they'll get the audience back, and they can get, like, everybody on their side. And that's what that song is. Mm-hmm. It's a unifier, and it gets everybody pumped up. Because I could start to hear or feel the audience being lost a little bit yeah. in that first set. Yeah. Because the talking got louder, and mm-hmm. people were getting more obnoxious. Even, like, coughing felt like it was... Um, purposeful you know like I know. it's funny how people which was kind of weird there was also a lot of for every show there were very aggressive dudes yelling yeah i wonder like if these were lot. like friends of the band <laughs> yeah it was interesting it, it, but like extremely aggro yelling, yeah Hur! yeah yeah <laughs> a lot of people wanted to make clear that they knew they know uh they knew the iron maiden cover oh yeah they, uh, they know who iron maiden is so, so I want to talk about that because one dude actually did feel like he was like, oh, Maiden, you know, he was like excited because yeah, he recognized yeah. it. But then at the later shows, I question whether the guy who knew the song, whether he was an Iron Maiden fan and recognized it or he was on the message boards and he knew right. that that song was coming up and he wanted to seem like smart. You right. know, like he wanted to be like, I know what this is, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a pretty different version of the song. But yeah, that 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 is um, that is one of the highlights for me. I mean, I think I've I've grown to appreciate this cover even more. And I feel like it, it's interesting too, because at this time in history, 
feel like the Maiden was really having a moment. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if people were rediscovering them, like, quasi-ironically or something, but I feel like there were a lot of Iron Maiden t-shirts in the early 2000s, and I think I kind of was getting more into Maiden around this time. I mean, they're amazing. They're, like, they're such a great band, and they're, like, you know... Spinal Tap is sort of like kind of it pokes fun at like maybe an iron. They're like maybe easy to poke fun at, but I think Maiden's got the last laugh, uh, uh, you know, across the board. Like they, they absolutely they do rule. They absolutely rule. Um, and I, I'm this feels like a fun, like moments like this feel like kind of the spirit of Zwan, where like Billy and Matt Sweeney connect over like things that they appreciate you know and and ways to sort of innovate them into something new and this this song really cooks too this is like it's obviously a metal an acoustic-y cover of a metal song but that doesn't mean that it's um a snoozer it really picks up the live version really really picks up and like rocks by the end of it so this was a highlight Yeah, I absolutely love this cover because of how they changed it up and made it sound like kind of like, again, like this outlawish kind of yeah. bully, you know, like it would have been in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, but not yeah. as like, you know, bluegrassy, but it's got that kind of feel. Kind of a you know? cowboy, but yeah. Yeah, yeah cowboy, cowboy meets, yeah, like, uh, you know, turn of the century. I, I don't know. It just, it has this tone to it that i really really fucking love mm-hmm. and i mean i love iron maiden uh you got to hear the new album if you haven't already oh is uh, it they good have a new I, album I out and it. it is a return to form it is so fucking good nice. i think it is nice. i think it's great uh so check it out uh you metal heads if you will um maiden is back and they're better than ever But yeah, this I really loved it, and I really liked hearing Matt sing. You know, mm-hmm. thought it was cool, and um, yeah, definitely a highlight for me. Uh, I really liked these performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool hearing um, metal lyrics. It, it sort of um, recited that way too. You know, yeah, because like, you don't often like like a band like Maiden. You know, you obviously hear the lyrics. Their lyrics are, are not the like the most indecipherable certainly in the metal world but um yeah just hearing it sung in this kind of in this kind of way like it it's um yeah it's i feel like a lot of people have done like covers of of metal songs in a way that makes it less metal and almost um is making fun of it in that way you know like like but this is like very much honoring Maiden. You know what I mean? You know what I mean Absolutely. by that? Like some people are like, oh, we're going to cover a metal song, but we'll sing it in like a, I don't know, mellow way and thus kind of like make fun of, of their performance in the process. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like they're really honoring Maiden and enjoying themselves and kind of creating something that is, is pretty different uh, in the process. Yeah, when you hear it in this context, it makes it sound like a Robert Johnson song. Yeah, totally. Ah, uh, she's gone. I know she won't come back. I take the last liquor. I'll nation back. 
but yeah, it, it, it definitely has that kind of bluesy. You know, we talked about Cool Jesus last time, mm -hmm. but it does have, there's a lot of moments in these Jolly's Wan shows that feel like revival tent. Oh, yeah. Type of like spiritual, but like dark spiritual mm -hmm. type of stuff where it's like Jesus and God are scary. Yeah, you know? like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he'll smite you, you know, like that kind of stuff. But so like, I think this rendition of it really takes those lyrics and gives it that kind of Robert Johnson, mm -hmm. you know, old blues feel. Yeah, definitely. The devil. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely devil and Jesus kind of jamming together. That was a highlight for me. What were some other standouts in your in your view? Well, I mean, I guess I should just I mean, right away listening to even that first set with Roma Girl, mm -hmm. you know, like that was I think I wasn't as familiar with this track and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And this cool. one kind of kind of rarely changed through the sets, I think, if I can remember right. It's hard because we're, we're listening to four plus hours of music. Yeah. And sometimes it was hard for me to go back and compare or like remember because I had to listen to it over two nights. Um, but man, it, it kind of feels like a... And this isn't saying it's a ripoff of it, but it felt like Lake of Fire, you know, Meet, meet Puppets, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, Nirvana. But it had that kind of sense to it. Yeah, it has this power that's really cool. Uh, I don't know. I just really, really, uh, I wanted to hear the full band version of it, the electric version. But I guess that's not. It's not the purpose of what you know right, this band right. was. But damn, it feels like it. Kind of also reminds me of the American Gothic EP, the song Pox. Do you remember Pox? It's been a while. I need to. I need to bone up on that song in particular. Yeah, I mean, when we get to that EP too, because that's another blind spot for me is that EP. But that that song in particular, because I was like, it reminds me of a Zeitgeist era song, and I couldn't mm -hmm. remember what it was, and it was Pox that it reminded me of. But like, yeah, uh, the title Roma Girl, Roma uh, being the more PC, you know, of the uh, the kind of outdated term that we know as Gypsy, you know. Um, oh, is that what it means? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Romani, yeah, Roma. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know. There was a Joe Strummer song around the same time called Coma Girl, but... Um, oh. Yeah. Coma Girl. 
Uh, but yeah, what's some what's another standout to you, or how do you feel about the track? Yeah, the Roma Girl. I thought was a really cool song. I had never heard it before. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I. Oh well, you know what? Kind of like uh, another one that. I mean, there are there are so many that I really connected with, but um, I'll tell you my favorite. My favorite okay. that I was not familiar with at all was the Spy Trilogy. just this song just like it, it, it's amazing it, this is such a classic to me and i had never I'd never ever heard it before but the lyrics i just thought were like really great the melody like i could almost see this i couldn't quite place it in my head but i could almost see this being like a big hit song that billy wrote for another band or something like you know what i mean like oh yeah i don't know who that band would be exactly but i could see this being like a like one of those more polished kind of alternative bands or something like uh, like yeah. poppier alternative bands i could see like having a big hit with this but this was kind of my um this was the one where i was like oh man i i i really love this this is uh, this is uh, you know a new fave well it's funny you said that because around the same time in 2000 uh, the band ivy that was signed to Scratchy Records, mm -hmm. Adam Schlesinger's other band, other than Fountains of Wayne, the one that J uh, James played on one of their albums, but uh, not this one in particular, but uh, they had a song called Worry About You that mm -hmm. kind of has a little bit of the same guitar part. Remind me of that, and it reminded me of some other '90s alternative song that I couldn't remember what soundtrack it was on, but I remember the video from 120 Minutes. Uh, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it. But um, yeah, I mean, I really, I really like this song, and it even kind of went through a little bit of variations as it went through the shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I also liked. Um, it felt like in the second show, the late show, I really liked that performance because it just felt a little bit more commanding. Definitely, I think all the songs in that intersection show in the second half mm -hmm. or the second set uh, were way more powerful and I just thought like way more confident. Yeah, totally. And this song especially really stood out to me in that second set. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I said it almost has a eminence front intro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? You know, mm -hmm. by the who. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about that song weirdly. Yeah, just the the lyrics for this. Go hang from someone else's tree. Don't pin your hopes on me. I mean, I feel like it's. I, I don't know if he's talking about a romantic relationship, or or, or it could you know it could be any any number of things. But um, yeah, just such an effective lyric. And then you know the uh, I'm just another phase. 
in the human right like the way he sings up like that it's just it, it's man the combination of lyrics and and melody it's just it's just a, a real gem of the song yeah i agree Another standout for me was a song called Solace and Serenity. Which was in that first set. Um, it, it, it's very quiet and delicate, and I like that. I like how there was even like a gap in the song before it kind of continues. I really like the lyrics. Um, it kind of sounds like a variation of a broken heart, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, there's something that happens with a couple of songs on here where I really, really dig Pajo's guitar work, where it feels like joe walsh eagles meets pink floyd yeah but it also felt like this was a good moment for there were a couple of moments in all these shows where billy does something that like some public speakers or stand-ups will do if there's too much noise in the room mm -hmm. where they will get quieter right yeah if the if the audience gets louder they get quieter because it causes the audience to realize there's this quietness that they need to be quiet because they can't hear what's going on yeah yeah for the most part right. uh, it doesn't right. always work and especially in some of these sets it doesn't work where people just decide to be even louder and laugh and mm -hmm. carry on or whatever which is very frustrating for me i've talked about that before on this podcast yeah but i, I don't know i really like this song yeah this is a really pretty one that definitely does lean into the super quiet quiet um mellow end of the jolly's one spectrum yeah it's super pretty song too what, what's another standout to you well um i have a lot to say i mean i think god's gonna set this world on fire we we already so we already sort of talked about how this was a standout moment um i you know just like the i just wholeheartedly agree with that and then the version from the twelve fourteen emerson show the sort of clap along version with the audience um mm. i mean that's an example of sort of like really getting the audience involved when they maybe were checked out at, at a little bit at previous points in, previ in the previous show
This this rocks live up there with like it, it gets to the point of sounding like a live um, smells like Teen Spirit or even um, one of my favorite Nick Cave songs that they do live is uh, Jubilee Street, which is like starts very slow and then builds to almost like a uh, smells like Teen Spirit type of pace. But they all, all these songs have sort of a um, start quiet and then just like reach this, this you know, s- these super high heights of like rocking super hard. And yeah, this, it, it's great. This is like, this is a perfect example of that kind of like rocking hard in a different sound context a little bit. Yeah. This is what really felt like a tent revival to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, church tents, you know, of yeah. the, of yesterday, um, that, that kind of like a gospel clap along, you know, yeah. Yeah. giving it up to Jesus. That's what it kind of felt like to me. And I, there's a reason why it was probably played according to SP codex.wiki. It was played 73 times. Interesting. You know, there's gotta be a reason for that, you know, like yeah. it's, yeah. it's a very, I would love to hear, hear this song again live. Actually, it would be great. Um, yeah hasn't been played since 2003 but like yeah I, I really love this but i especially love the early show at the emerson version where they didn't involve the audience mm-hmm. while the uh, involving the audience is fun there was something about that tone that that darkness that they gave to it yeah i just i really love the build-up and how they changed it uh it's got way more muscle to it mm-hmm. uh the way he draws out jesus like he's a snake too mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was more alternative rock than say like revival tent like it did with the other ones. electric guitar solo too
I don't know. It was just insanely impressive given how how it was the night before, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, I don't know, something kind of gave me like uh, Machina vibes too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know that's not fair to compare to Pumpkins because that's not what we're doing here. That's not what Zwan is. We're not the type of people to say, oh, Zwan, Pumpkins, you know, they're completely different things. Yeah, but the one thing that it, I think that, um, well, one of the things that you're touching on though is that it this does achieve that kind of um, layered sound, like the just the it's different, you know. It's it, it, the the boom of the kick drum and just like the fierceness and the confidence of the guitar sound, like it really builds like Machina does, like a different kind of wall of sound, which is really yeah. cool to to hear them build. Um, live i just really love that performance also right after it like around the 609 mark <laughs> there's some guy with a very raspy voice that's very it sounds very funny to me because i think he's saying that's the old shit <laughs> i don't know what he's saying but his voice made me laugh uh it was very funny he was from biblical uh, times so he rem- yeah. yeah he remembers he remembers when it. god used to do that frequently <laughs> Uh, I, I we should say that the intersection show, the late show, uh, we're gonna put the links to these shows. But my God, what a mess uh, on on archive.org that late show for the intersection that we had. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's probably more. We probably should have dug a little bit deeper. But the one that had the best quality, the files are completely mislabeled, so we yeah. had to relabel them. But the set list is right in the description, but not on the actual page where you play the song so it's just it's a complete mess yeah but, which um, made things extra confusing when they were in you know for shows where they were moving things around anyway you know took a little yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was a little uh <laughs> it, was, it was it was a little confusing at times but i think we we got it all um you know all all into one place that we could do this episode yeah so yeah what uh what's uh, another highlight for you i also really enjoyed the song candy came calling And it's really interesting how it evolved mm-hmm. for each show, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just like I, I love it. It's just got this like really infectious. It almost seems like it's gonna be like not a serious song or something, and maybe it's not. But it, it, it I don't know. It's it really hooked me. It, it's just it's got this infectious groove to it that like I I just really was drawn to kind of in every show yeah I feel like I mean the first performance felt a little bit more like Lily which is one of your favorite pumpkin songs I do love that yeah yeah I do love that song so I can see how that might connect to you uh yeah, I, I think that um, the band felt a little bit uh, timid or awkward 
during that first performance of it because there was that chastising that Billy did uh, oh, right. <laughs> right beforehand. Oh, was that where somebody yelled out 1979? No, that or was no, at a that... later... That was at Emerson show, but oh, okay. this one... Um, the audience started to get a little talky and, uh, you know, he got onto the audience about yelling and, uh, I think it was Matt said, we all remember our first beer. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, and like, I don't know, the audience started to feel a little like, I don't know, I could tell like they weren't into it. So that's why it was fun when um, they followed it up, you know, later on with, uh, well, I guess at this show they did For Your Love after that, and they kind of got the audience back and then ring the bells, and God's going to set this world on fire later. But yeah, I think that um, that one kind of felt weird to me. But as they did the second show, I was like, whoa, they really like came into it confidently, and it mm -hmm. had not as twee of a feel to it, I guess. Yes, it, it feels like it's... Um is an automatically like twee song but it's it's the, like once they get into it it's it's i don't know it's really unique it's really really great it, it does feel like a fun beatles song you know and we'll get to the mm -hmm. beatles later but like it really did feel like that because it also that strum part that happens at like around 132 That gets the audience on board, I feel like, immediately, because it's such a cool, like, strum part. Almost feel like uh, Billy Swan, uh, Sierra Swan's father, uh, mm -hmm. the I Can Help song. It kind of has that, like, feel to it. Yeah, yeah. There were a few, and obviously they covered. They actually do cover the Beatles in uh, um, a lot of these shows, or some of these shows. But um, yeah, there were a few other. Be there, there were a lot of Beatles y moments, and uh, you know, like many of us, I'm. I don't know if you're watching or have been watching the um, Beatles documentary, but oh I've, yeah, I've been big time in Beatles world as as it feels like everybody is, or a lot of people. But um, I thought that about the song WP. that really reminded because yeah. it's like because uh, um, I have just been watching them come up with the uh, everybody's got a something everybody and you hear John just ri totally riffing like everybody had a bad year everybody had a wet dream you know like so anybody the, the part where he's like everybody's got something you know it, it just felt like a, a, I don't know about a nod but just sort of maybe part of the I know Billy's a big 
Beatles had um, maybe just like osmosis of like Beatles influence, you know, coming through. Absolutely. And especially with that era of the Beatles, you can hear in this, you know, there's no, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they played Don't Let Me Down. Right. Which that part of the documentary is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny. That documentary is so interesting because I thought when I was going into it that I was watching a documentary, like a, a pretty straightforward documentary. And like five minutes in, I'm like, oh, it's this. Yeah. And then by 10 minutes in, I'm completely engrossed in it. And mm-hmm. I think my, my wife, who's a Beatles fan as well, she was kind of like, oh, yeah, well, I've seen every, you know, how good can this be? And right. she was kind of on her phone as I was watching it. And then like five minutes into her watching it, she was like totally into it because she's like, I, this is so engrossing. It's really mesmerizing, especially because you, you know, and I like there are de- like I've never I, I've become very slowly like a pretty huge Beatles fan. But I wasn't like mm-hmm. I didn't get into them until like after college because I always thought of it as like. Well, that wasn't really my time, I guess. I was right. just too occupied yeah. with like '90s stuff, frankly, and like other, you know, other stuff, post Beatles stuff. Exactly. Um, punk, post punk, and punk, and like you know, whatever. But I've become a pretty obsessive Beatles fan, and seeing the seeing them interact on a human level, it it first of all it takes them off this like. Uh, Mount Olympus type of untouchable, you know, you see these like very talented guys in their 20s collaborating and it was also like w- the the nice thing about it was like it, which you have to almost extend this to what you don't know about what goes on behind closed doors in other bands, the dynamics were not at all what I had in my mind the, but, like the interpersonal dynamics were very different than what I had in mind um, John especially seemed like seemed like a like you know john and paul J- paul and george together ringo there's so many sweet moments surrounding ringo in that you know like I know. It, ringo's a real sweetie in in this he really is i it made me everybody gives shit to ringo but i think ringo's great ringo's great and i think this only further proves like ringo's like importance in the band but absolutely it got me thinking about like paul um like a young Paul that age, I was like, holy shit, he's reminding me of like Billy a little bit. Like this is probably mm-hmm. what it was like to work with Billy to a certain extent. Like perfectionist, like not like, you know, um, I don't know. Like, Oh, sorry, I, Pat, could you take that back? Yeah, yeah. Th- this. I'm joking, I'm joking. I was... <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Being a perfectionist. I was joking. I, did, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. <laughs> that was good, but I was off my off my guard. Um, but yeah, you know, did you have the same thought? Like, watching young Paul, like, I could just picture Billy Siamese Dream oh, yeah. Kali era. Yes, absolutely. I think that, like, I think Billy's... <laughs> now we're just getting to this, like, kind of fanboyish kind of... Uh, speculation and whatnot and like I don't know I think this is fun I think our listeners will enjoy this but I think that Billy's a combination of Paul and John Mm -hmm. yeah with the personalities I think if you combine those two you got Billy in the studio and Billy as a person yeah yeah because it just I mean I I probably identified with Paul a little too much which kind of made me a little ill to my stomach because I recognized certain things where I was like oh I probably identified with Paul and George a lot but I think that for Billy's uh, tone, like the way that he works, I definitely saw it with Paul. 
Yeah, know, and I definitely yeah. saw it with John. I, I more so Paul for sure. Yeah, because of how much of a perfectionist and how he was just like, kind of has moments where it feels like, well, fine, then fuck it. Yeah. But then he can't help but be in control of it. Yeah, and it's in the name of something I believe in, which is he's like, we gotta push further. We gotta come up with something new. And at, there's even a point where he's like, this is sounding like the same old shit to me. And and John goes, well, I like the same old shit, you know, when it works. Mm-hmm. And like that kind of reminded me of of Billy in a really positive way. And not like and I guess all this. Uh, my greater point is like you could just apply like take take what you gleaned from watching this compared to what you kind of thought about the making of this Beatles album was like. And then you could extend that like you could extend that logic to like what well, we don't like your assumption about the pumpkins inner workings or any other band and you just have to you just have to like take a huge grain of salt um and acknowledge you don't actually know what what it was like unless you were one of those people there you know you just there's just no way to know yeah I, I don't know. I really love it. And did you read that article uh, talking about how Michael Lindsay Hogg is actually the 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 villain of? The oh, Beatles no, no. I haven't actually finished it. I um. Oh yeah, Yoko reframing Yoko too. I mean, that becomes clear yeah. right out of the. And you know, I think you like. I think a lot of people have sort of um, awakened to the fact of uh, uh, fact over the years that perhaps the Yoko hating was just a knee jerk, like sexist, you know, oh, yeah, racist. But, you know, woman hate like, but it. I mean, the, the way Yoko comes off is the way that Yoko should come off, which is like, yes, John was very obsessed with her and liked being around her all the time, but that was her biggest crime. Is like, you know, that's the only. Th- she didn't do anything wrong other than her uh, uh, boyfriend husband like really likes being having her around. Like that, but yep. but um, when they're jamming with Yoko and she's screaming and they're playing like everyone's having a great time at that or like a cathartic time jamming yeah. with Yoko and it's awesome. Um, so yeah. it, it just reframes a lot and it, I feel like it is applicable to our podcast because we, t- we spend so much time talking about like inter band dynamics and like speculating, but also kind of accepting the fact that like, you know, um, we don't, we don't really know what it was like and sort of putting yeah. to, putting to rest like you know our own assumptions about stuff so um anyway i guess we got started on this by saying that there were some very beatlesy moments um <laughs> but but yeah, there are beatlesy yeah. moments like you know yeah i don't know and directly uh, beatlesy moment yeah. directly yeah 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 i think i mean i don't know i know billy's watching it I know he has Disney Plus because he talks about it with his kids, and I know that he definitely watched this because he's a Beatles head for sure. So I'm just hoping How could you maybe not? we get something like uh, this maybe from the Pumpkins. Maybe I know he's always downplayed that stuff because he's like somebody else has to do it for him. He's not going to be the one to do it, right? And you know we've offered our services. Yeah, man, Billy, we'd be happy to do that documentary someday. Um, I mean, I think it would be really cool. Um, it would drive us crazy, but would be something that would be fun to do. Yeah, yeah. I just love, yeah. I, man. I just, you know, and it feels like um, the Beatles are so huge that the 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 thing about this is that like people can get into pro like the minutia of their process in a way that mm. they probably wouldn't for any other band because they don't like 
care enough or something, but like I love, I love just watch like being a fly on the wall watching talented people in any field like collaborate. You know, oh, so yeah. this is just like pure that, and it's just all all good. But I'd yeah, I'd love it for the pumpkins, obviously. Well, speaking of collaboration, I mean that's something we've learned in our industry that it always works better with kind of our improv training of just being like, all right, let's try it. Yeah. Because the worst environments are the ones that, and with this Beatles doc, I really liked what, even though they were like, eh, I don't like it. They at least try. Yeah. Because they jam and they, he's like, oh, try this part or try this thing or kind of directing a little bit. And instead of being like, no, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. They try it and yeah. they're like, well, this doesn't really work. And that's the best collaborative environment. Yeah. Instead of saying like, no, and shutting it down immediately just fucking try it yeah, jam on it absolutely and like oh man and this is something that i feel like i have through do like coming from improv and stuff it's informed like other stuff that i do where like it doesn't have to be you don't have to write the whole thing before it comes out of your mouth like lyrically for yeah. example and, and th- i think that this is the, we're going off on beatles tangents here but this is how billy has said he works too where yeah. like all these songs that you know and the lyrics are burned into your head they're they're riffing like uh, they're doing sort of nonsense placeholder words many of which you then see morph into these like lyrics that have stood the test of time but like they're yeah. just like I got this melody in my head let's just riff it out let's just jam it out and then they you know it's really amazing i mean like it's they're they're yeah. so good um it, that they it, they can seemingly wing it and then create this classic album, you know? Well, I mean, in regards to the pumpkins, we heard a little bit of that with the 666 tapes, you know, like the behind the scenes footage of Melancholy where he's kind of got these placeholder lyrics or even with the demos we hear sometimes where it's clear that he doesn't have a word, but he has the phrasing for it. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you know, watch a lot of Metallica, like behind the scenes stuff and James Hetfield works the same way too, where he's just kind of doing phrasing first and then yeah. he fills in the words that go with it, like to fill fill out the song, you know, and the story mm-hmm. he wants to tell. And Billy works the same way. And I'm I'm willing to bet the way that it this came together so fast with Zwan and Jolly Zwan is that that's the way the band was working, kind of jamming it out and then yeah. like tightening it up. But mm-hmm. they were able to work so quickly because of how proficient. Yeah, totally. The the members were. That's you know, I think that's are. that's that's why I think we are. Um, uh, getting caught up on the Beatles thing so much because this is like a you know I'm not going to compare or whatever but like they are so proficient as the Beatles were from just their pedigree of like being the Beatles for 10 years but also like playing in Germany and stuff just like so many they had their 10,000 hours under their belt as all of these people do and you could even read it in like some of the song titles like um you can, you know, like, um, I don't know, even like the Spy Trilla feels like a jotted down kind of like working title, like, you know, Trilla. Yeah. Like, it, it feels. Illinois. Yeah, totally. Like, it feels like these things are to an extent being worked out on stage. And in that sense, we have full circled it with the Beatles get back because that's what they're doing. They're, you know, kind of working it out into the point where. And they're so good that it, it like a few 
tries and it feels really polished and really powerful. Yeah, and what Pat is trying to say is that Zwan is the Beatles. Zwan is the Beatles. Well, they were planning to do, that was going to be the, the Jolly Zwan album process. It yeah. was going to be a very Let It Be type of um, documentary DVD thing. So Okay, let's, let's talk about that. We'll get back to some of these songs in a minute, but let's talk about that because that's a very interesting fact of like how what they wanted to do for the actual recording. So you, you read a little bit more about this. I know, I know uh, a little bit about this, but not as much as you, did you read up on that? I did. Yeah. I mean, I think it was the, what I've read is that just, you know, it was going to be that process. Like you would see that they would film the whole thing. Um, and you, the, the prod, the album would, you know, would, would, the product the same way that the Beatles intended it at first, it was going to be like a special along with the album. And then they were also going to do the live performance, but yeah, so it would be like the, um, the process was part of the product sort of thing, which is interesting. I guess you could compare it to like MTV's unplugged, how you could edit around that. But for me as an audience member, I think they even talked about this on SPA to Z where <laughs> you'd just be terrified mm -hmm. during it just to be quiet enough that you don't ruin like you oh, yeah, cough or yeah. fart during a song, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that would have been cool. I think that would have gone pretty well. I think because especially if you vet the audience that's going to be there because with the, the these live shows, you know, you get wind that Billy Corgan's new band is playing. You're going to get a lot of mm -hmm. like that dude who shouted out 1979 and rightfully got booed. Or the guy who kept talking about Zwan, heroin. I mean, when I saw the full, you know, band, uh, full True Poets, Zwan in 2003, I mean, I, you know, several people were yelling out Pumpkins songs for them to play. But it's like, are you kidding? Like, you really think they're going to do that for you? Like, this, like, what? <laughs> why do, why do so people spend money? Too, like, that the other, that the band broke up. Like, what do you think is, um, you know, what do you think's people happening here? suck. Yeah, people suck. Like I, 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 uh, I just I realize like how how many people just really just don't give a fuck or have a clue, and it really upsets me. And especially with like people like that who spend money mm -hmm. to go to a show and ruin it for real fans. Well, this remember at the garbage um, show we went to, Shirley Manson went off on a, a <laughs> uh, somebody who, and I, I'll say like, I didn't, I would, I don't think I would have thought much of this, but someone was I, bouncing a balloon around and yeah. she, in a very, you know, lovable, like she's awesome. She's very, it's very easy to get on her side on stage, but she like really chastised this person and like <laughs> for bouncing a balloon. And she kind of went off on a rant about how like, musicians are not respected in this culture and like yeah you know but it made me think because it's like you're so used to things the way they like again the balloon thing i didn't think as a total hangable offense but um it is interesting how like like there are certain i don't know like going to see bands i think we are the type of people that are very reverential to bands and probably a lot and musicians and live music yeah. and probably most of the people who listen to us are but not everybody's like that and a lot of people no. just treat it as like some entertainment that's going on in the background that they could kind of tune into and tune out of um and say that they went to yeah it's the whole coachella effect right right you know where people just want to go to say they went there and they instagram about it and stuff and they don't give a fuck about the music Right. You know, with the VIP packages and whatnot. I'm not going to get on a rant there, but like, it does feel like, I, I think it's like in a relationship, Pat, you know, the whole balloon thing reminded mm -hmm. me of like, 
you're fighting about toothpaste and you're like, oh, it's not about the toothpaste. Right, exactly. There's something, the balloon there's something triggered deeper. something. Yeah, the <laughs> balloon represented something much bigger, you know, a much bigger balloon. I think that was the last night of that tour, too. So I think that, like, right. I think that that's what happened was maybe throughout that tour, you know, whatever, how the audience was. And, and I, I bet that audience is probably one of the best that they could play to because you got Cat Power and Alanis Morissette on that bill too. So people are there to see those bands. Yeah. But at the same time, you're going to get those assholes, especially at big shows like that, mm-hmm. who are just going to kind of ruin it. And like the balloon, while it's not that big of a deal, I'm sure it probably triggered something else that she had to get off her chest being like, we need to respect artists when we go to see them. And in this case, like, yeah, like, why would you go see and shout that shit? And, like, some of it just very disrespectful. Somebody shouting at Jimmy about heroin and... Right. It it just, like... And when you think about how small this room was, it was about 200 people, which is comparable to when we saw Billy at the Lodge Room. That was about 250-ish, some two, a couple hundred. And I, when the room is that small... It's no longer like this anonymous experience. It's like I can kind of see you like yelling over there. Yeah. Like, you know, like I kind of know where that talk that's coming from. And it like the moments when people did that at that show, I felt personally like a little nervous or like my shoulders oh. went up a little bit cuz I was like, I don't <laughs> Absolutely. want like this is too intimate to get weird, you know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly with like people shouting from the back we had it a few times at lodge room but uh, you know yeah. we had the darcy moment where uh, yeah got very yeah. contentious um yeah yeah when someone drains all the blood out of your body you don't go hey you got any more blood <laughs> gave you what we had man. that was it but anyway um how did we get on this tangent now i kind of lost my place but i love it <laughs> we love it we're working we it out it. we're like the beatles we're working, we're it, working out. it out it live yeah. in this at Twic- twickenham studios Twi- That's twicken. right. Oh, but, uh, but, but Pat, so maybe you want to try it like this. Maybe you can go back well, and then just kind of tighten it up a little well, bit. Always and da- go... I, I, sooner or later, I'm just going to say, do it your way. And then I'll, uh, you know, I'll do it your way. Because every time you tell no, me. No, but I'm just saying, you know, just just go ahead and play it. You know, just go ahead and just well, do, I was, do, 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 do. I was bit, starting bit, bit, bit. an F, but you're telling me that it doesn't begin with F. Actually, I, you know what? Well, then I, begin with F. I, I haven't finished it yet, but I was so surprised. Just the last point. John's perso- John is like, um, I expected John to have a real chip on his shoulder and be like difficult or contentious or something. Or fi- He's like um, like a real team player. Like he's like, it, it's, it's interesting. It's like very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I kind of know guys like that. It's a bit toxic, uh, but he the way that they do <laughs> the way that they do argue is very pol- it's very british totally yeah because it still is polite but it's very cutting mm-hmm. right do you know yeah. what i mean yeah. where it's like yeah they're arguing but they're still like a you know like uh like georgia i just play it the way that you want me to you know this right like, yeah yeah it's like well yeah there's just which is it's why so the the moment when George quits, I was like, "Holy shit! I didn't see that coming." But then I got, but I, they were bickering, and it is so like British, so like um, yeah. there's so much under the surface of the water, you know, Brit, like oh, yeah. they they're not like us wild emotional um, Americans who are you know um, screaming at each other. Yeah, like we scream at each other, like with the t-shirts, "I screamed at you." We can't have a giant butt on it. I right. know you want it. I want you want a giant butt with a thong that says the Smashing Pump cast. Mm-hmm. And that's just gonna. I'm gonna have to save it for my solo um, 
t-shirts like yeah the, the pat o'brien <laughs> patreon last thing uh, is that you do hear throughout this here um seeds of many of their future solo songs too you hear some george stuff you hear some john stuff um and it's all just kind of the words aren't there yet it's but wild yeah 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 where they're like ah, this isn't gonna work for the band so i'll just take this amazing song yeah yeah and use it for my own incredible so i personally i think that the winner out of I mean, I really love Paul's solo stuff, and of course, John's stuff is amazing. But for me, my personal post-Beatles favorite solo album is All Things Must Pass. Yeah. I mean, All Things Must Pass. It's amazing, and it is. And George, I think, yeah, you're right. Like, George post George's post-Beatles career, it's like he probably more than anyone had so much that he could like so much unsaid you know like so much that was pent up so much creativity that wasn't he wasn't able to fully express um clearly because i think he pitches um i think he pitches the song all things must all things must pass yeah yeah Yeah. and it clearly just you know he put it under just in jail with the band and he's like great i'll just take this incredible amazing song and just do it on my own yeah 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 um, but like, yeah, as far as, uh, do you have any other high, I got one other high, or I got a few others, yeah, but go I for think, it, go uh, for back, it. back to the Jolly Swan shows, uh, I really liked Girl with the Cruel Face. Mm, okay. You know, it was was the first song of the late show of the Emerson set. Mm-hmm. Um, just it something about those chords just hit me in the bones. There's something about that kind of like feeling that really just immediately got me. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a part in it where I'm like, oh, why are they cheering? I wonder if more members were coming out as the song was going because it does have a little bit of that drone. Mm-hmm. And there, there are a few songs here that I really like that they keep it simple, but that like kind of droney quality. I love how that builds and builds and builds like with songs sometimes that just have like, you can keep it simple. It could be two notes, you know, it could be one note. It could be two notes. It could be a million notes, whatever the song needs. Yeah. But man, when it, they keep it simple and just build and build and build on it. I really love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of like, feels like deeply personal, but poetic lyrics. It's very Gish like to me or drugged out like Doors meets Susie and the Banshees to me. Mm-hmm. Some lyrics get cringy, but like songs 15 minutes, you know, and then when it gets to the like and repeat, I love the addition of the tambourine. I don't know. There's something about like, cause it's so long and it just kind of like really 
goes and goes and goes and i just it really like kind of hooked into me mm -hmm. he kind of does that sing-songy cadence at a bit like he does with that silver fuck performance at the final show right right uh the final metro show that feels like kim gordon like yeah you know mm -hmm. Another one, I don't know if we talked about um, For Your Love. Have, yeah that's an that was another one that is sort of a um a, a creeper it gets its hooks into you slowly but surely um and i could almost see this one i don't think i don't know if he's played this um uh since or, or like in recent years um i think he has um I think it says it on spcodex.wiki. Yeah. Um, last performance. Okay. 2015. Um, so, oh yeah. As, as he did it as part of a um, VIP performance in okay. 2015. But yeah, you could see this one. Um, and, and for some reason, like for some reason, some of these, Maybe be the ones that are more Sweeney forward. Like it's just hard to see Billy doing now. But um, some of these are just feel like they're begging to be woven back into um, set lists, and that one feels like one of them for your love. Absolutely, and this is what that DVD was named after, and you can hear it in the supplemental DVD, which I just rebought, um, and Pat and I will be covering it in some yep. form, probably Patreon. Yeah, um, visual experience. Yeah, but I, I think that uh, yeah, the the beginning of Four Year Love kind of reminds me of something I couldn't put my finger on, but maybe it's Cherry. And at first I was like, I, I don't get why this was such a big song for them because they played it so many times. But then as it keeps going and going, you're just like, whoa. Yeah. It just really grabs you, and I just love every time i heard it uh i just couldn't get enough of the guitar solo that comes in again like that eagles ish mm -hmm. you know pink floyd vibe that that the song turns into i just absolutely loved how it goes there
I just love how it builds and builds and builds because by the end of it, I was like into it. I felt that way about Illinois too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. You know, where I was same. like a little little lukewarm on it. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit more Cotillions, but I know El- Illinois is like kind of part of the Chicago Kid, I think, uh, project yeah. that he ended up doing that will eventually see the light of day. But, mm-hmm. you know, that very Dust Bowly, it just kind of felt a little boring. But then by the time that it gets you know moving mm-hmm. in some shows it just feels great yeah that's the same same vibe it really can get its hooks in you Yeah, the Illinois was another. That was another standout for me too. I really, I, I really dug that one. Yeah, I'm realizing we're just naming all the songs, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those I were mean, my, those are my tops, though. I, you know, okay. I, I don't know if, um, I don't. I, yeah, we we talked. I feel like my faves out of here are God's gonna set this world on fire, freedom ain't when it used to be, number of the beast, the spot, uh, the spy trilla for sure, candy cane mm-hmm. calling, um, for your love. And um, the last two we were just talking about, or the the last one we were just talking about, Illinois. Yeah. I was looking through the other songs that we can, oh, like Ring the Bells. I really like that, how it kind of, again, that's one of that build. That one felt like the first performance, the the aspect felt more Bob Dylan-y to me. Mm -hmm. The way he was kind of doing the lyrics of that, it felt like Bob Dylan meets the cult (laughs) to me with Ring the Bells. It's got a hypnotic rhythm. Which is perfect for acoustic performances, like like what we were talking about earlier. Uh, and the intis- intensity just builds. You know, it's more feeling mm-hmm. than say like anything technical, right? And I think that makes for a great song. And I think that um, the proof is in the audience reaction. Yeah. You know, because like at first they're kind of like milling a little bit, but by mm-hmm. the end of that song of ring the bells every single time they play it they just like are fully on board yeah and that's kind of interesting too because you wouldn't have been able to get that that effect for years prior like at a pumpkin show because everybody's got their their requests and their like associations but when it's all basically new to people you kind of can like you know you can track like the crowds are like you know what I mean? Like the crowd isn't going in with um, baggage or preferences necessarily. They're just responding for the most part. And there's covers, you know, which are exceptions. But for the most part, they're just responding to what connects with them in real time. That's what those yeah. cheers are. Not cheers of like recognition or old favorites or whatever. 
Yeah. Oh, Pony Express was also another favorite of mine. how quiet like the hushing that happens at the beginning of the performance too you know yeah, everybody yeah. settles in and I, I wrote down that's me the one shushing right, <laughs> that would yeah, be me yeah. at a show but i just love the the way it sounds you know I, I i really it did remind me of soothe a lot and that was the one that felt the most pump pumpkinsy to me mm-hmm. uh someone's cell phone goes off too which is annoying but um it's great you know uh around five minutes i love the guitar sound it's it sounds like a little alice and chainsy you know jar of flies era mm-hmm. kind of you know where it's all acoustic like with that um kind of a bongo-y uh, type effect too or am i making that up yeah i don't know there was a couple of things i heard with it that i was just like oh i really like this but yeah man i i, I really dug that song they only played it twice though mm-hmm. um yeah the audience was pretty annoying during this particular show so then there's also how things are. Which I like the drum groove on, interesting arrangement. It uh, feels like it could have been a, a cool alternative pop song if it was electric, kind of what you were talking about earlier, where mm-hmm. it could have fit with like a 90s kind of, you know, band like uh, New Radicals or something. Right. Wasting time. Skipping like a skimming stone. Skimming up that champagne. Swimming through your tides alone. Swimming on your laughter. They were really talking through this one and laughing. Uh, this one was where it was like uh, they, the audience was just really fucking rude during this. I thought it was a good song. Uh, I love the lyrics. Um, one one thing that happened during this after the song was done that I thought was funny was somebody yelled out, "Billy, I love you," and he said, "Many have claimed love, but few have delivered." Mm-hmm. Yeah, Billy was on fire <laughs> with a lot of his quips. Uh, um, yeah, throughout these shows, I feel like a, a little bit of it was a bit of cheap seats, like slightly homophobic, you know, mm-hmm. like early aughts type of humor. Yeah, man, it's crazy how. <laughs> It's crazy how I mean, and it's good how how much things have changed, but how how um, how normal that, that that was as recently yeah. as not even twenty years ago, but uh, ten <laughs> like, years. I would ago, say like five, five years, years ago, ago. Yeah, yeah, and it's and and to me, it's it's not just like because people who who talk about um, 
you know, like PC culture and all this stuff. But like, it's not like um, when I hear casual, like kind of homophobia now and for a long time, I'm sort of like, it's not like my reaction is, isn't, oh, you're not allowed to say that. It's like, why are you saying that? Like, why yeah. would you want to say that? Is You know what I mean? And they like, you're talking about like some... I don't know. I guess my point is like it's not these guys. It's sort of like um, the way things, you know, the way things were, and it's a good thing that they've changed only relatively recently. But yeah, uh, freedom of speech exists, but freedom from consequence—that's another thing. Yeah, if people want to go boo, do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you can't be like, oh, cancel culture just because right. somebody no, them, booed you. Them are just booze. They've been around since the beginning. You know, that's just a tomato yeah. that someone's throwing at you. That'll be the end of what I say there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just people reacting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the audience giving you a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and that's nothing new. You know? Yeah, you can either take it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talked about the the WP, uh, the song WP. Uh, do you think this might be short for William Patrick? I was wondering that. I maybe, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Either that, or I was trying to think like what else it could be. Uh, it could be short referencing for. to White Plains. I don't know. Hmm. White pumpkin. White pumpkin. Um, wh- wh- uh, wh- whistle. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe WP. we're too tired to do yeah, this. I know. Um, yeah, I think that like uh, I I really like this. When I saw the DVD, I really was like, oh, what's this song where he says we're moving way too fast for me? Like I I really liked. It. I was like, oh, what song is that? Mm-hmm. Found out it was WP. I really liked that because it has a little bit of like a climbing up the walls yeah. by Radiohead feel to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I kind of like that slinky spookiness to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And this this is the one that has, like, it kind of has this, like, Pink Floyd type of build. And it has the lyrics where you could tell, like, it's just part of Billy's, like, DNA. Mm-hmm. That he always has to say this kind of thing, like, the lyrics. Everybody's got something they need. Everybody's got something to bleed. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got something to deny. And that feels like a very, like, Corgan-esque yeah. lyric. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And you said Pink Floyd, which might just be what I like. I was going to say, like, kind of Radiohead meets the Beatles, but maybe that's what Pink yep. Floyd is. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, Radiohead is our generation's Pink Floyd, basically. Right. Let's be honest. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, this is also the point where he ta- tells a story about when he invited people up to James Eha's hotel room. So we were playing in Oklahoma City and uh, with my former band and. Uh, uh, a Dave Matthews band, and uh, we were in uh, Oklahoma City, and uh, we're staying at a hotel right across from where we were playing, and we were playing some huge, humongous place, like 900,000 people or something, and uh, I thought it was funny, um, because we were staying on this floor where you needed a, a key to get upstairs in the elevator, so, so during the middle of the show, I said, by the way, after the show, there's a party um, in James Eha's room, and... Uh, and I figured, you know, like 20 people maybe would go over. Well, it turns out like a thousand, a thousand people went over to the hotel. And then uh, they went, rushed past the security guards and they went up the elevator. And when the elevator wouldn't go to the floor where his room was, they stopped the elevator, they climbed through the top, broke through the, the top floor and destroyed the entire floor. 
And of course, they called me and said, uh, we want you to pay for this. God, the Beatles. Beatlemania, pumpkin mania. I love them. I don't care what anybody thinks. I love the Beatles for them, and I'll always love them. Even when I'm 105 and an old grandmother, I'll love them. And Paul McCartney, if you are listening, Adrian from Brooklyn loves you with all her heart. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, we we've already kind of talked about of a broken heart. That's the kind of traditional yeah. poets of swans, swan song, and you know, we we were into it. What else are we missing here? Um, well, there's a co- couple of covers. There's the Beatles. You know, the, we've talked plenty about the Beatles, but I, th- you know, I think the the Beatles cover is is great. Um, crowd pleaser every time and it's you know yeah. I think it wor- it really works for them but um, yeah and then they also did um, break on through at a certain point oh yeah and after that they, they kind of like even go into another song I was like oh this feels like I heard it hold on let me see I know what I was thinking of sorry it wasn't on Candy Came Con because they do play the doors um, but on the, the Iron Maiden cover of The Number of the Beast, at the very end of one of the performances, oh, uh, right. I Break, believe it was the first show, you, breaking you the law. hear... Yeah, Breaking the Law. Yeah, they play... Yeah, that was that was yeah. great. That was a nice little... That. But it was like woven in where it was like just a little button on the end of the song. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I liked that a lot. the metalheads in the audience did we talk about freedom ain't what it used to be you know what i think we both agreed that it was great but um yeah we should we should spend a moment talking about it because i, I think you know i think this was a this is really really a beautiful beautiful song Actually, we did talk about it. We did definitely talk about it because I yeah, because I like the first performance better. Yeah. Out of all the performances, I thought the first one, uh, something about a performance during one of the shows just didn't work for me for some reason. I don't know what, what that was, but mm-hmm. yeah, I guess we did. Uh, like I said, bad memory. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to cover here. We're just kind of going through our notes, looking through to see what we haven't covered to talk about. Um, we're, there's one definite one that we're just kind of saving because uh, we're going to talk about it. But um, what about careless love?
that's the one that's kind of a traditional number, kind of going into to covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditional, uh, it said careless love traditional when we looked it up on spcodex.wiki. And, you know, it's got like this kind of Gaelic hypnotic flow to it. You know, it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. I like it. But it is like an old traditional, I guess. Yeah. That various yeah. artists have uh, done different covers of. I think you have that information, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There. Okay. So several other people have done it. A recording by Bessie Smith titled "Careless Love Blues" was popular in 1925. Same year, it was recorded by Papa Celestin and his Tuxedo Dixieland Jazz Band. We all remember them, and released as a single by OK. Um, New Orleans cornetist Chris Kelly was famous for his emotional rendition of the piece. Many other artists have done it. Um, have recorded Careless Love, including Dr. John, Brooke Benton, Connie Francis, Dinah Washington, Fats Domino, Frankie Lane, Madeline Peru, Nat King Cole, Ray Charles, Rosemary Clooney, Shirley Bassey, and Ronnie Lane. That's so, it? That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I'm, I, like, I'm always, like, slow on the uptake about, um, what songs are, um, traditional ones. Like, I didn't realize, um, there was one, um, Jesus, oh, I Stagger Lee. This is I'm just talking about different bands now, but um, oh, okay. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds do, on Murder Ballads do a version of Stagger Lee, which is a great, like, insane version. But a, but that's like the Grateful Dead does that. There's like that's yeah. like a traditional, not even a song, sort of like a, a traditional yarn or something that's been. Yeah, it's cool. I don't know. I'm I'm ignorant about all like the origins of a lot of these but i guess that's the yeah. point it's like it's just is a song that's out there and it's like kind of up for grabs for interpretation so I'm yeah not. and it's interesting how billy did this especially during the zwan era you know mm-hmm. like taking traditional songs and making them into kind of like his own yeah type of thing yeah um one of the things they said that i thought was really cool is that remy zero opened up for one of the shows uh-huh do you remember remy zero vaguely i i do because they were they they had like a I don't know if it was a hit single, but they they were out there, yeah. right? They were sort of in yeah, the yeah in the nineties. Their biggest uh, hit single was "Save Me," which was the theme to Smallville, I believe. Uh, okay, uh, but my favorite track of theirs was "Grammar Eye." That song is incredible. It's a really great song. They were a really good band to see live, too, but uh, they kind of fizzled out. I believe the lead singer was married to Alyssa Milano at one point. Oh, nice. From Who's the Boss? Angela. Angela. Mona. Uh, Jonathan. Zwan. And then you got Ray Romano introducing Zwan. Hey, everybody, Zwan. Swan is sweet, you could, sassy, molassy. You could draw. Uh, you could draw a diagram and actually connect Swan to all the top sitcoms of the of the eighties and nineties. It's it's a, it's a trip. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> Swan once again, Swan. Ladies and gentlemen, Swan. 
We will be watching that episode. Don't worry on the Patreon. Oh yeah, that will be on the Patreon for sure. Um. So, what final thoughts on on this um series of performances and this incarnation of the Jolly? Well, we Swan. still have a few songs to talk about. Oh, did you want to go through all of them? I kind of did all my highlights, but if you yeah, yeah we don't you... have to do highlights, but just kind of like quickly mentioning like silly sally oh, the yeah. little noodle song mm-hmm. you know not sure if i would have been as satisfied as a, as an encore if right. i was an audience member But you know how Billy feels about encores, kind of like they're always for the trues, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the big one that we can talk about is, um, unfortunately, chicks just get in the way. Oh, how could we forget? Yes. How could we forget chicks just get chicks in the just way? Get in the way? Which features, of course, are you know uh, the great Linda Strawberry no, for the second performance? Yes, for the second performance. Build here as Linda Roberry, which is her real name. Um, mm. So yeah, it's cool to see Linda in in the mix because she was part of the Jolly Zwan uh, family. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, what'd you think of the song itself? I know I you you tell. subscribe to this uh, to that idea, right? You're a constant. Oh yeah, me. definitely, bro. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, well, come on. I just want to hang out with my bros and my man cave, man. You know, I don't want to be hang out with no chick, man. They get in the way, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I I mean like, uh, it's hard because it the song feels like a dead milkman or like a violent filmsy type of like tongue in cheek. Right. Yeah. Not really sincere. Right. But you can't. I don't know, it's funny that Matt Sweeney like like distanced himself from the song in the first performance. He's like, I'll have nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it feels like it's. I don't know. I think it's like done done with a tongue in cheek. But yeah, given yeah. the banter and some of the stuff, it felt a little. And not to mention, he says, and I'm I'm quoting here uh, in the first performance. He doesn't say it in the second one, but he says, "I'm not gay, but chicks just get in the way." Right. And it's like, okay, and I don't even know what, like, you could shave my mustache, I could shave your ass, you could get to know me and touch a little class. Like, it just feels a little gross to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, In the second w- version, he says, uh, I'm not lame, but chicks just get in the way. But it just felt like a little bit like, there's, we talk about how, like, pastiche sometimes goes into the, goes over the line into the just being actually. Sure. Yeah. The thing, you know, like mm-hmm. it's like you're making you're being satirical about sexism or you're kind of being tongue in cheek with those types of songs. But you're also kind of but volunteering then, to just do it right now, you know, to like, Exactly. Yeah. 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 And like that's whatever. It's the time. You know, we're not here to like correct history or whatnot. Uh but I, I like that Linda got to come out 
mm-hmm. you know, in that second performance, so she got to do her version of it. Yeah. You know, of dicks just get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it kind of felt like an antagonizing June and Johnny Cash, you know, kind totally. of. Totally. Or um, it also made me think of that Pogue's Christmas song, Fairy Tale of New York, where like it's right. got, the, um, I forget her name, but the female vocalist, and they kind of like trade barbs with each other, you know. There's yeah. also a homophobic word in that song, which, it, you know, the, um, but uh, anyway, yeah, it's got that vibe of like, <laughs> you you like, you think you're so, you know, like kind of. A, yeah. 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 A very like kind of play. But then at the end, though, what I didn't like, and this is what kind of tips me to the other direction being like, well, what is the intention here? After Linda sings that song, Billy kind of feels a little like uh, terse with her. Mm-hmm. I you come up here and- The roar from the men in the audience was just way too loud for my liking. Right. Yeah. And you barely hear her say, I know, you know, like she says, it's got the transcription wrong on the website, but what I heard her say it was, well, if it wasn't for a chick, you wouldn't be here. Right. And they say, you know, we love you. Thank you. But yeah. See, I mean, yeah, not crazy to, in retrospect, see how this, you know, certain things that have come to a head in recent years were brewing under the surface, you know, in terms of um, whatever. Yeah. Just yeah. that, that roar right. is like, you know, like you said, like there's it, it's yeah, I think it's a probably a lighthearted um, tongue in cheek decision to do this song but maybe it points to like some like maybe it just highlights some kind of uglier like veins that were happening Uh, it it was that laugh that got me it was just the 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 men's reaction to it that kind of bit like oh this this is where it doesn't veer into pastiche or satirical you know and it's the the wrong people are taking the wrong thing from it maybe Mm -hmm. uh in the comedy world we call it a uh was it a, a a mouthful of blood laugh Oh yeah, yeah. Or like yeah, where it's just like what they're laughing at is the wrong thing, and it's like oh, you're, you know, you're 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 focusing on maybe the satire wasn't as sharp where it needed to be, and maybe you were punching down instead of punching up. Right, you know? right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, I mean, like again, of its time, we're not here to dissect it too much or be like, how dare you? You know, we mm-hmm. know, you know, we uh, actions speak, you know, louder now than they do you know, in the past, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. This is a, a cl- good, clean 20 years ago, almost to the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely takes me back because, um, on the one hand, this doesn't feel that long ago. And on the other hand, <laughs> this was a long ass time ago. This was two decades yeah, ago. Exactly. But yeah, those, that's, those are my overall, I mean, we covered every single song. I believe if we missed anything, it's because our notes are 36 pages long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, trying to keep this all together with, um, a week to prepare for it. We wanted to make sure that we had this episode for you, you know, in time for holiday stuff and whatnot. Uh, and we're, we're trying to keep on schedule here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we have a, a, a wonderful fan base that we want to keep happy. Yep. Um, well, yes. Final thoughts on, on these shows. I mean, like I said before, I think that uh, it just makes me love Swan even more mm-hmm. and really makes me bummed out about like what could have been for yeah. Swan and, 
just gives me a lot more respect for what Zwan was that I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. That as I said, Cormac McCarthy core. You know, that's what it kind of feels like to me with Jolly Zwan and. Yeah, I just kind of wish I would have been able to hear this acoustic incarnation recorded. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you, what were your thoughts, Pat? Yeah, I mean, I um, I also wish I could have gotten to see this live. I did see Zwan live, um, but this yeah, this feels like um, you know because Zwan did kind of blow up. It's almost if you just take a really sort of surface level view it would make you say like, Oh, why did this band even exist then? If they like ended up hating each other and like, you know, they like Billy maybe didn't need to start a new band or like, could have just gone solo or something. Like, I feel like this answers the question. If you are asking that question, why did the band exist? These early shows and these, these, um, these shows in particular kind of answer that question because it's, it, I don't know. I feel like you can kind of see the sort of artistic um, vision on display, you know, and you could definitely hear the artistic um, talents of the people, you know, for whatever brief moment this was like really gelling and really just sounding incredible at, at many moments. It, there are, there are definite highlights, but um, yeah. The, the highlights are very yeah. high for me. And we're not sure if um, Anna or Anna uh, Lenchanton uh, pauses right. her sister, if she was in uh, this incarnation, this this live version, we couldn't tell, we couldn't find the... I thought at one point I heard some kind of strings during one of the songs, but uh, apologies if she did play and we didn't catch yeah, it, but we know not, that she's um, part of the spun right, uh, yeah. songs. And we couldn't find explicit credits um, for her on these shows. And, uh, and I didn't catch a lot of what sounded like strings, so so maybe she wasn't there, but um, she was part yeah. of, she was technically part of this band, this version of the oh, band. Yeah. And if there's anything we missed, you know, feel free to bring it up. Uh, we can always bring it up in our odds and ends uh, episode that we're going to do with Swan. Any of the stuff that we didn't catch, please reach out to us. Let us know if there's anything that uh, we did not cover that we should have covered. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot here. <laughs> like I said, mm-hmm. we had like 36 pages of notes. We're both sleep deprived dads. So yeah. uh, surely there's something that we probably missed here. Yep. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, I don't know. Jo- jo- Jolly Swan. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. Um, and well, everybody out there have a holly jolly Zwan season. Uh, it's, it's just kind of getting started in a way. Um, our Zwan episodes at this rate are going to carry us over into the new year, right? Absolutely. They're going to get us into February. Yeah. Yeah. So Zwan season is just getting started, folks. And we're going to mm-hmm. keep work finding new and exciting ways to replace <laughs> S's and uh, with Z's. So look out for that. <laughs> it's going to be Zima all over again. Yep. Remember those commercials? Some of you don't because you were born after it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, someone sophisticated. She smiled subtly at me and said, Say, what's your sign? Uh, yep, and just a reminder that you can find us on the socials on Instagram at Smashing Pumpcast, cast is spelled K-A-S-T, and on Twitter at Pumpkins Podcast, and podcast is spelled normal there. You can also sign up for our Patreon. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we eventually will be covering that Zwan SNL in full, not just the performances, nope, but the sketches too, just like we did with the Christian Slater Pumpkins 93 show. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. And you can find that at patreon.com slash smashing pumpcast. Cast is spelled K-S-T. You should know this by now. Um, and again, if you want to um, kind of throw us a buck or two and don't want to sign up for the Patreon, you could do that at buymeacoffee.com slash pumpcast. Cast is spelled K-A-S-T. And those links, of course, all these links to the shows uh, that we covered on here and everything else that you can think of, our T-shirts, it's all there in the show notes. So just check that out. All the links will be there. And until next time, Zwan's Wheaties, never lose that feeling. Never.